Have you ever played the game of life? I'm talking about that Milton Bradley board game that you have likely either played in your childhood or with a younger person in your life. It's one of those games that appeals only to children, I think. I haven't played it in a long time, but as I remember it, you begin by getting a small plastic station wagon with little holes in it to place a peg in the driver's seat, and that represents you. You travel along a road making life choices as you move around the board. Right off the bat, are you going to college or are you starting a career? So the directions tell you that college offers more career and salary options, but it takes time and it puts you in debt, and that's the truth. You make your choice and you go from there. The rest of the way is luck. You land on a space that requires medical attention, you pay the person who's the doctor. You land on pay taxes, and the person who's the accountant gets the money. The mechanic gets paid when your car breaks down. All along the road, you travel in this game of life. There are windfalls and there are pitfalls. You win and you lose. You may land on get married, or you may not. You may land on the space to have a child, or adopt a child or two, or you may not. There's insurance, there are bank loans, there's stocks, and finally there's retirement. And guess how you determine the winner? Of course, the person with the most money at the end wins the game. Now, there's more to the game than what I'm describing, but as a child, I remember thinking it was fun to imagine what life would be like as I got older. And as an adult playing this game with children, I just shook my head. There are a few things that got right. Life is a journey, that's for sure. As one person said, life is like asking the pilot of an airplane, where are we? And by the time she answers, you're not there anymore. Our lives have highs and lows, good days and bad days, times when we are on top of the world and times when we want to stay in bed with the blankets over our head. But one thing is for sure, life is not a game to be won. The person with the most toys or money at retirement or the end of their lives is not necessarily the winner. It is so much more complicated than that, isn't it? In Luke's gospel, Many of the stories about Jesus happen on the road. Some scholars pinpoint a large part of this gospel as the Luke travel narrative, which goes on for about 10 chapters. Those chapters detail Jesus's ministry and his healings and his teachings along the road. It ends with his final journey to Jerusalem and his triumphal entry into the city on the back of a donkey to the cries of Hosanna, Hosanna. And after Jesus is tried, crucified on a cross, and then laid in a tomb, Luke's travel thing picks up again. It's the afternoon of the third day after Jesus was placed in the tomb. The afternoon of the day that the tomb was found empty by the women. Hear this reading from the Gospel of Luke. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? 
They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the good news according to the Gospel of Luke. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There were two people on the road that afternoon, Cleopas and an unnamed companion. Many scholars think that because that companion was unnamed, it most likely was a woman. Because as we know, women were not given equal status in those days, except by Jesus. As they walked along, I suspect they were feeling all the things, sad, disappointed, heartbroken, dejected, hopeless. We can almost see them in our minds, wearily walking along the dusty path, with their shoulders slumped and talking about all that had just happened in Jerusalem. We know nothing about Cleopas. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. What we can deduce from this passage is that Cleopas and his companion were closely tied to Jesus as they had been with the 11 disciples and other followers when the women came running back that morning to report the tomb was empty. And after their encounter with the risen Lord, Cleopas and his companion would go running back to Jerusalem to, sell, to tell the same group all about it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Cleopas and his companion were walking and talking as they headed down the road to Emmaus, some seven miles away. I wonder what they were talking about. Was it all their hopes for what Jesus could have done? Was it some of the things Jesus had taught them? Was it about their sadness and grief? Were they planning where to go and what to do next? As they walked along the road to Emmaus, they were joined by another traveler on the journey. 
We have the benefit of knowing it as Jesus, but they don't. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I wonder if in the midst of all that had happened in the preceding week, they were blinded by their grief and distress, or perhaps Jesus was what we would call out of context. Maybe like when you saw your teacher out in the real world and it took a minute to realize who she was since she wasn't in the school where she obviously lived. This stranger may have been out of context for them because after all, they had likely seen Jesus crucified and later placed in a tomb. They wouldn't be expecting to see him again and certainly not on a road outside of Jerusalem. As he joined them, he asked the question you and I might have asked. So what are you talking about? Must be something serious by the way you're walking and talking so intently. Their reaction is somewhat amusing as they stop in their tracks and look at this stranger like he must have crawled out from under a rock somewhere. Cleopas asks, are you the only person alive who doesn't know or hasn't heard about what's been happening this week? The stranger goes along with them and asks again, what do you mean? They tell the story of Jesus, the man they call a prophet, and how he'd been crucified. And then just that morning, his tomb was empty. They say what may be four of the saddest words in this chapter, but we had hoped. But we had hoped he was the promised Messiah, and we had hoped he was the one who would be king and would put Israel back on top by strength and might, a mighty warrior king. But he was not. He was just a man. He was a man that taught love and forgiveness, a man who healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners. He was a man who taught about God and made the stories of their faith come alive. But, but, he didn't stop himself from being tortured and then crucified like a criminal. He was dead. The man they thought would be their king and bring Israel back to glory was dead. And they were going home dejected and sad and hopeless. Jesus didn't let them shut down there on the road. He talked with them about the scriptures. He opened up the scripture to them as they would remember. They would say that their hearts were burning within them while he was talking to them. But we had hoped, but I had hoped. Have you ever said those four words? Have you ever felt that way? But I had hoped the scan would come back normal. But that I had hoped she would accept treatment for that addiction. But I had hoped I would be accepted by the college I most wanted to attend. But I had hoped I would have done better on that test. But I had hoped my mother would know who I was. But I had hoped he would beat that disease. But I had hoped. What do we do when our hopes and our dreams and our plans are upended? On this journey of life, we can't just spin the wheel and get the next prize on the game board. Some of you may know that I am a second career pastor. In my 40s, I went back to school, received my Master's of Divinity degree, and began the ordination process in the North Georgia Conference. I had it all planned out. I was going to get a job as a licensed local pastor for a couple of years. As I went through that arduous process of paperwork and interviews, defending my paperwork. Then I would be appointed to a church where I could be in ministry. Well, I had hoped it would work out that way, but it didn't. 
You see, along the way, I had a setback, and I was told by a group that interviewed me that I didn't articulate my theology well. They told me they didn't think I was ready for the next step. I was heartbroken. I was embarrassed. I was, to some degree, hopeless. My plans had been upended. I was ready to quit. Why had I poured so much of myself into answering God's call to be told I wasn't good enough? Or at least that's the way I interpreted it. A dear friend and mentor, Reverend Dana Everhart, called me the night I got that bad news. I told him I was ready to, th to quit and that I didn't think I could put myself through this again. God worked through Dana Everhart that night when he told me not to lean on my own understanding. Quoting Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 to me, he said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Kathy, and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That is what I held on to that night and in the days and months and years of the continued process. This white stole, it represents a whole lot of work, a whole lot of tears, sleepless nights, thoughts of quitting altogether, and prayers for help. I couldn't do it alone. Only with God's help could I push on to see what the future would hold. But I had hoped. When we feel hopeless, when we don't think we can go on, when all that we know and dream of and plan for aren't the way it turns out, the Lord meets us on the road right where we are. Sometimes we don't even know that's who it is. We question it and we have a hard time believing it. Just as Cleopas and his companion didn't know it was Jesus who walked with them on the road. They didn't know until he sat down to eat with them. He took the bread. He blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Take, eat. Then their eyes were opened. They knew it was Jesus because they had seen him do this before when he fed the 5,000 when he ate with his followers in the upper room, he had met them on the road, miles from Jerusalem, hopeless and disappointed, grieving and afraid. He met them right where they were, and he took them forward on that journey to a place where they would be surprised and discover once again God's presence, God's love, and God's grace. What things are on your heart today? Are you grieving, afraid, anxious? disappointed. Maybe you're worried about someone or something. Are you sad? Maybe you just don't know how you feel. Perhaps, perhaps you're none of these and life is good for you right now. And for that, we can be grateful to God and you can look for where you can be Jesus for and to others. But if life's challenges and surprises have thrown you for a loop and you need someone to listen and walk beside you, we have some pretty special people here we call Stephen ministers who can do just that. Maybe you need to know you're not alone and to be surprised by God's patient and loving embrace, to be open to recognize that God is with you. You may not know that's who it is until after the fact. So many times God comes to us in the familiar, in the ordinary moments of day-to-day -day life. If you were here last week, you heard Phil talk about Laura Williams seeing God in the signs and what some might call coincidences of ordinary life. And remember Mary. Mary saw a gardener outside the empty tomb and she didn't recognize him until he called her name, Mary. Cleopas and his companion didn't recognize him until he broke the bread and shared it. God is with us and we have faith. As C.S. Lewis is credited with saying, 
God meets us right where we are and loves us too much to just leave us there. God meets us right where we are and loves us too much to leave us there. And that's not a game, dear friends. That's the promise of a loving God. Let us pray. Loving and living God, we know that life is not a game to be won or lost. Help us on this journey to know that you are present and that you will always meet us where we are on the journey. Thank you for loving us, for putting up with us in all our times of not recognizing you in our midst. Forgive us for not trusting in you to walk beside us, to love us and to make us and take us further than we ever dreamed. May we trust in you with all our hearts and not rely on our own understanding, but acknowledge you knowing you will make our path straight. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.